We are locked and loaded on this Thursday. We have a couple of the bosses in town, the baseball boss, the hockey boss. It's Doug Armstrong and John Mozeliak, both on the show. Doug Armstrong, uh, willing to play the hits, as I call it, going through recent history. Alex Petrangelo left. Matthew Kachuk did not end up in St. Louis. And then the contracts for Kyra and Thomas. I think a lot of folks said, why'd you do that? Why'd you give them all that money guaranteed? So among the topics with Doug Armstrong are those three issues. I think not hot-button issues, but things from the past that a lot of Blues fans still point to when they look at the current team, which, by the way, is still playing at home. Four-game homestand tonight. They're taking on the Boston Bruins. Did I get this right? No, New York Rangers. New York Rangers. Boston on Saturday. Like Kachuk. I don't even know what day it is. So the New York Rangers are tonight. Uh, Doug Armstrong and John Mozeliak, the Pobo. Oh, he's the president of baseball operations. I still think of him as the GM, which I realize Michael Gersh has the title. And in baseball, I think Theo really created this. When Theo Epstein was in power in both Boston and Chicago, had kind of a fancy title probably because he was just too cool to just be a GM. So everybody started getting these cool titles. Nonetheless, John Mozeliak on the show. We're going to also play the hits. We'll talk about pressure on him to get this right after last year's horrific season. Is the starting rotation a little old? Is there a risk there? Even though they went out and got some veteran guys, it's also a group that's a little bit older trying to redo the DNA of the clubhouse. And admittedly, they're trying to get a little bit of an edge. Talked about the payroll. Who decides that number? Does Mr. DeWitt come down the hallway and say, here's what we're spending this year? Does Mo have a model in mind and say, hey, if we could, let's let's go after this guy? Asking about uh, kicking the tires. I mean, does does it hurt ever if there's a big-time free agent just to call and say, hey, you got any offers yet? We got a deal here in St. Louis for you. So among the topics, the I would even say job security that Mo has with Mr. DeWitt, is that ever addressed between the two of them, especially during a year like last year? And then something interesting about Yachty or Molina being in uniform, and we knew Yachty was going to be around special advisor, whatever that means. But this idea that he could possibly be in the dugout during games, I was not aware of that. So Mo will explain that. We got a lot to get to with Doug Armstrong, John Mazalak on the show tonight. Shout out to the Billigans who made history last night, a record at Chaffetz Arena. Biggest comeback they've ever had. Slew was down by 20 in the first half to St. Joe's. It's getting ugly. You're thinking, oh, man, of all the nights for Dr. Chaffetz to make his first appearance, if I'm Travis Ford, I'm looking for a tunnel to crawl into. Chaffetz is in the building. We're losing by 20 at home to St. Joe. Who? Okay, yeah, they're better. They're good. Whatever. You're at home. So the upside is they came back and won 55 second-half points. Gibson Jimerson who I believe came along during, what, the Ford administration? He he scored 24 in the second half. But I look at this game, and it feels like a Doug Armstrong answer after the Blues had the great comeback against the Blackhawks. Hey, that was a lot of fun. We scored five goals in the third period. That was great fun. Fans loved it. Uh, why were we losing 5-2 to two to the Chicago Blackhawks? And I think if you're a Billikens fan or even Travis Ford, like, hey, that was fun. That was great. Why were we losing by 20 at home? So there's still a lot of questions for the Bills. They go out on the road. How about this? Next week, Dayton and VCU. 
road games. Who put that schedule together? They go to Dayton and VCU in the same week. Love to get Chaffetz on the show at some point. I know last year we had him after the season ended, and I brought up the kind of, I'd say last year it was mild disappointment in the Billikens program. And I asked him what he and Chris May talked about, and he said, we'll keep that between us. So didn't exactly expound on it. I think we'll wait till the end of the year and see how this season play out and then get him on the show. Uh, you had the Nick Saban news on Wednesday, followed up by the Bill Belichick news. It's unbelievable. Poor Pete Carroll. Nobody even cares. I mean, he had a really good run in Seattle. But it's like, oh, my gosh, Nick Saban, Nick Saban. What Pete Carroll? Oh, yeah, and Pete Carroll also. He's out in Seattle. Even though he wanted to stay on. If I'm him, you're 72, just be a consultant. for the. See, just go to the game, sit in the luxury box. My God. I know they're not wired that way. But along comes Belichick's news the day after, the Saban news. And I love the fact they were on the same staff. Belichick's coaching staff had Nick Saban. And Gary Pinkle's first job coaching was at Kent State alongside Nick Saban. I think Pinkle at some point, either on radio or podcast, told us the story that Saban's dad was a in the car business. And he said there was a point where Saban was like kind of deciding whether this coaching thing, they're not making any money, they're grad assistants at Kent State. And he said Saban had to kind of decide whether I go to the automobile industry with my dad or stick with this coaching thing. Imagine that. If Nick Saban and all his coaching greatness – had just decided, eh, the hell with it. I'm just going to sell cars. But I love the fact it goes all the way back, Pinkle and Saban. And there was even a blurb on Twitter because social media has everything. The Ohio State staff in 1980, and it was a very small little newspaper blurb, probably from a Columbus, Ohio paper. And it said, Pete Carroll is leaving Earl Bruce's staff at Ohio State to take another job. So Pete Carroll leaves to go to NC State. This is 43, 44 years ago. And the little blurb says, Pete Carroll leaving Buckeyes will be replaced by a coach named Nick Saban. So Saban actually replaced Pete Carroll. I love going into that. I can get into that whole rabbit hole of where coaches were, who they worked with. and So as of this moment, there has been no other major coaching retirement. I'm trying to think of anybody. There's nobody that compares to Belichick and Saban. That could be next. So massive coaching news over the last couple of days. Brendan Weesey and I will kick it all around later in the show. In the meantime, enjoy John Mazalock and Doug Armstrong coming up on the Kilcoin Conversation. Joined now by the Cardinals president of baseball operations, John Mazalock. He needs no introduction, so I won't waste any of that time. Mo, it's been too long. I say that from my perspective. I'm not sure about yours. <laughs> Martin, Happy New Year, and uh, glad I could join you. Yeah, thanks for hopping on. Uh, we had recent news with the addition of Andrew Kittredge from Tampa Bay. The Tyler O'Neill trade also brought you uh, Nick Robertson. Were those the bullpen pieces that you were not waiting on, but to kind of fill out your offseason? Would you say you're done at this point? No, I wouldn't say we're done at this point. Um, obviously, you always want to leave the door open for whatever potentially could still arise, but you know, we're still paying attention to the free agent market. We want to see how that unfolds. And, you know, I, I definitely feel good about what we've been able to accomplish so far. But we know there's still time to do some work. Are you surprised some of those bigger names are still sitting out there, whether it's Snell or Hayter and Bellinger? You know, yes and no. I, I think there is some uncertainty in the industry right now as far as, like, you know, TV contracts and 
what that's going to look for from a, a local revenue standpoint. But, you know, I also think, you know, as you look at the modernization of free agency, I, I do think people aren't necessarily, you know, chasing a clock, if you will. Um, and, you know, a lot of people just sort of think about the off season and, and, and the conclusion of winter meetings as if, you know, that usually wraps up most of the big signs, but I think in, you know, recent history that shows that that's not always true. Obviously there were some big names that went off the board, um, and Otani to name a few, but like, you know, overall, I think people are still just sort of like trying to assess where they are in the market. And, you know, obviously these guys will all sign before we get there, but it wouldn't shock me to see a name or two get dragged into spring training. And when it comes to Sonny Gray, Somebody you guys identified, you were interested in, and he obviously said he wanted to be here. But how does how does that play out when he could sign with Atlanta? He could go to another team. How do you manage that sort of waiting game and make sure you get the guy you wanted? Well, I think in our case, we weren't waiting. Um, you know, you think back to Thanksgiving, and that was really the time frame that a lot of our signings happened, and, and part of that was because. You know, all three pitchers we signed, including Sonny, all had a lot of interest in trying to do something here. So we didn't really have to wait out a market or, or see how the market might develop. And so in our case, the most important thing for us at the time was just being ready and being nimble to do, to, to get a deal done. And so, you know, really pleased with, with the acquisitions of, of Sonny Gray, Lance Lynn. In Gibson, because I think you know all those guys are going to help us. And when you look back at 2023, which I promised myself I'm not going to talk much about ever again, but you know it certainly uh, uh, was a reflection of not having the, the depth and pitching to really get through that season. You think Kyle Gibson, not in your world, but I feel like fans and media, he kind of slips through the radar. Lance Lynn, we talk a lot about. He had bad numbers. He used to pitch here. Sonny Gray is kind of the headliner. But I, I feel like if you look at Gibson's year in Baltimore, that maybe we're not talking enough about him what, what do you like about Gibson well I like that he has a veteran presence he's he understands what it takes to go pole to pole meaning he's going to take the ball and um, you know he gives you a chance every time out there I think when you when you really peel back the onion last year and, and look at some of those starts where we were struggling to get out of the first or second inning you know this guy's a pro he knows what it takes to, to 30 starts 35 starts in a season he wants to do that He's eager to pitch here in St. Louis. So, do I think he's a, a below radar sign in, in regards to you know people that are maybe not that familiar with him? I, I, I could see that, but you know I think when you look at at how teams are built, you need players that that understand what 162 over 187 looks like, and and that's you know something I think these guys they get. How do you look at Lance Lynn's numbers? He probably doesn't want to talk about 2023 either. How do you look at that and say, okay, he won't be that for us? How do you know that? Well, I, I think, you know, we're confident we can get him back to where he was. I think there's a couple things going on here. One is, you know, he understood some things that were going on with his own mechanics, um, knows he had to make a, a change with that. And then I think, you know, sitting down with our pitching coach, having him spend time studying his video and, and, you know, from an analytical slant as well. But there's some things we think we can do to help him, and, you know, hopefully we can uh, get him to where he once was. But, you know, performance aside, this guy's a competitor. He, uh, I know he's working really hard this offseason, and, 
you know, he wants to, uh, you know, have success. And this is not where he's someone that's just hoping to, to play out a year. This guy, um, you know, he wants to pitch for, for more years to come. And, and uh, he knows this year is important to, to reestablish himself. You mentioned with Sonny Gray at the time, a lot of people have talked about it since, just his tenacity. I think there's been a Chris Carpenter comparison in terms of approach. Uh, give me an idea, just DNA collectively. Lynn's got an edge. Gibson can bring an edge. This veteran presence, how much in your clubhouse did you feel, hey, we're a little quiet or, hey, we're missing some big voices? Well, I think, you know, and I stated this at one of those press conferences when, you know, you look back at, at this past year and, and you think back to, like, not having the voices of, of Albert Pujols and, and maybe more so, even someone like Yadier Molina, who had been with us basically two decades, you know, that was lost. And and so trying to reestablish it is not easy, but trying to inject some veteran presence that understands what it takes to play day in and day out, I think is really important. So, you know, I, I think these guys bring that, um, you know, conversations with them over this offseason, you know, really enjoying what I'm hearing and uh, you know, super optimistic on, on the direction of where this organization's headed. Now, the only downside to that, they're all veteran guys. Your starting five is, is an older group. Is that risky at all? How do you view that in terms of their age? Um, I mean, I, I suppose you could take the argument either side, right? But, um, you know, there, there's no doubt that, that that's an experienced bunch. But, you know, we do have guys like Libertor Thompson. Um, we have Graceffo coming. Uh, McGreevy coming, so I, I feel like we have some some depth there, and, and like I didn't even mention somebody like Rom, who was starting for us at the end of the year. So if we need to find some starts throughout the the season, I think we have the depth to do that. But you're really hoping to be able to count on these these five guys to take the ball every fifth day. In terms of your everyday lineup, is there any scenario where Mason Wynn is not the starting shortstop, even if he doesn't hit a ton? Is he the guy day in day out? I mean, I, I, again, you never want to speak in absolutes here, but, you know, the, the, the door's been open for him. You know, we used the opportunity that uh, our poor 2023 season afforded us to give him some opportunity to experience the big league level so it wouldn't be such a, you know, shock for the first time. And if you really look at his history, he is a, a, a guy that traditionally, when he got promoted, struggled for a period of a month or two, but then things would click for him. And so we're hoping that that learning curve was something we accomplished uh, the latter half of 2023, and he can hit 2024 running. Is Tommy Edmond pretty much cemented into center? I know he's played all over the place, seems to thrive wherever you put him, especially defensively. Is it your hope at least that he is the everyday center fielder and he's not bouncing all over? Yeah, that would be the hope at this point, yes. Well, since you've had like a consistent three, is your hope that those three will all kind of take it and run with it? Well, you hope so. And then, you know, Dylan Carlson is also someone that's going to be like fighting for it bad. So, you know, he's having a pretty good off season. I'm excited to see what he looks like. You know, the, we have some depth there and it's really going to come out to, you know, see how guys perform and, and how they utilize training is going to be fun to watch. And, you know, I, I do like the idea that, there is a, a, a competitive element in our camp. You know, last year was a lot different for us because we had so many guys in the WBC. It, it felt more like where we were just like getting to see younger players go, but it didn't feel like everybody was necessarily having to fight for jobs because we knew 
veterans were going to come back in. And I think, you know, not guaranteeing playing time is not the worst thing in the world. Um, I think on paper, using a pencil, we can definitely write a lineup. But I do think spring training is going to have some value for us this year. It seems to me, based on the offseason, the way you guys have approached it, yes, you needed to add pitching. Everyone knew that. But you didn't want to blow it up. You believe in your everyday lineup. Do you look at last year as more of an aberration or a hiccup? Is that sort of how you viewed it? You know, it really never you know, took off. Um, to your point in the outfield, there were injuries. There was a lot of missed time. Um, that group just never really got going. And uh, you know, we do believe in this group. Obviously, we made a trade to make sure we could create some, some regular playing time for, for the group mentioned. You know, we, we do think it's a, a good, we'll be together for a while. I feel like, you know, our infield last year, um, you know, we, we tried to navigate through injuries as well. And, and, you know, having somebody like a Brendan Donovan for a full season is something that's really going to help this club. So, you know, there's some things that, that we believe will, will make us look different, will feel different, and, uh, we, you know, expectations are still very high as we go into 2024. How much do you monitor the division and what other teams are doing? I mean, you're obviously aware, but does that ever impact what you guys do? Um, not really. I mean, we set out, we try to build a club that we think can get us to October, and, and then the plan is, is when we get to October – take our best shot but you know understanding what's happening in our division obviously you look back to last year i think that gives you a little bit of a teaser of what's to come in terms of you know cincinnati and and pittsburgh or have a young core they're building around it um you know you look at the cubs they're still actively in the market and uh you know milwaukee will be something that that'll be of a different interest just because their manager's left he's now in chicago and, and see how that comes together they're dealing with some injuries but you know they're excited about their everyday club so the bottom line is you always play the game and you know that's going to determine the outcome you added Haim bloom who is with the red sox with the rays somebody i know that you've known for a while explain to folks his role i think some people maybe thought it was more of a full-time gig explain to everyone what he'll do no, it's really more of an advisory role. Um, you know, I, I personally feel like, you know, my, the group I work with day in and day out, we've been together a long time. And I'm not accusing us of being stale. I'm not accusing us of, of not being open-minded. But having a fresh set of eyes come in and, and give us his thoughts on, on, on really where we are. And, and, you know, he's well calibrated because he – he has been recently with two clubs and two clubs that are really on sort of, you know, polar ends of the spectrum in terms of, you know, a smaller market and a larger market. So, you know, I just want to have a better sense of, of how we should be setting ourselves up for the future and what that looks like. And I think he'll be a, a breath of fresh air for that. Do you feel personally challenged to get this right? You know, for and there's plenty of critics out there. I don't know how aware you are. You always tend to have a little bit of a sense of what the noise is. Do you feel any personal pressure, hey, to turn this thing back around and, and how it reflects on you? You know, I get that question a lot. Um, I, I, I answer it the same way. I mean, there's always pressure in this job. I mean, that's the nature of it. Um, you know, obviously last year didn't go as planned by any measure. And, you know, I think as a group, we know it's important to, to get ourselves back to, to where our fan base is proud of what we're putting out there. But the one thing I've learned over... You know, over 30 years in this league, 
it's it's hard to always make people happy. Um, you know, at the end of the year, only one one group gets to raise that trophy, and it's it's tough. I mean, that's the the why people work in this business because they they enjoy the competitiveness and the competitive nature of it. But you know, when when you don't perform, when you don't meet expectations, uh, you know, it can be it can be noisy, it can be loud, and it can be hurtful. But you, know, you can't let that distract you from what you need to do to, to try to get things right. And you went on record last year. I think we had talked at one point, hey, Ollie's not going anywhere. He's our manager. Does Mr. DeWitt, does Bill ever say, Mo, don't worry about the noise or you're my guy? Does he, does he ever have to do that? Not really. Um, you know, Bill and I have been together a long time. Um, you know, we understand at some point that relationship will come to an end, but hopefully it comes to an end when it's, like, mutually agreeable. But... You know, like, I don't feel like any, like, threatening position. I understand we have to win, and I understand Bill as an owner, you know, has to get that this product to where our fan base is happy. But, you know, he and I work together. We work together well, and, you know, I feel that relationship's very strong. And we talked to Bill the third last week, and one of the questions was about payroll. People love to talk about payroll. How does that number get determined i think i asked him in a weird way and he said well it doesn't exactly work like that but do, do you come up with a number hey i think this is what we need to spend or does bill say here's the max you can spend how does that work yeah it really works more like it's understanding what your revenues and your expenses are going to look like and then we we sort of backfill in for what the payroll will be but you know bill um mr dewitt and i tend to work in like three-year increments, and so we kind of have a, a plan of what we want the payroll to look like in those three years, and and then I try to manage accordingly. Now, there's some times where, you know, something comes up where we may have to go over it, and, you know, that's my responsibility to then pick up the phone and defend why we're doing it. And do you ever kick the tires, even on a big ticket, whether it's Otani or others, just to see, or is there any value? I mean, would you ever... Do you kick the tires on some of the bigger ticket items just to see if there's a fit? Well, some of this is relationship-based, right? And, and so, you know, depending on who the agent is, of course, I might be in contact with, with them, understanding where that market may or may not be heading. Um, so the answer to your question is you're, you're almost touching base on everything. Um, I feel like that's my responsibility and so I try to do that on, on just about everything. Now, there's obviously some things that we have zero interest in, so I'm not going to do that. And the Yadier Molina topic finally got resolved, answered. We know his role. But for those who maybe weren't following it closely, wasn't it clear from him, or at least he wanted to be day-to-day coaching? At least he thought he did, right? Didn't he initially want to do as much as possible? Yeah, when he and I first spoke um, at the end of our season, and when he was in here for Adam's um, retirement, it was definitely something I think that's the direction he was leaning towards. But I think as you start to understand what that commitment looked like, what that time would look like, we came to a point where we realized that wasn't going to work this year. And look, I'm much happier that it ended that way um, because then we can manage it accordingly, whereas... I didn't want to get down the road and have something that happened to us like a year ago with, with Maddie Holiday. So it's it's always tough because, you know, a lot of these guys are trying to balance their family and what their future careers might look like. And, um, you know, we try to paint as clear a picture as possible of what the day-to-day looks like because I don't think 
players always know what it's like when they sit in the coach's chair because it is a, a much different schedule than what a player's used to. And he could come into town for a homestand, be in uniform, right? not during the game, but pregame and, and be around? Actually, actually now he is. Uh, you are able to put coaches, um, even visiting coaches, in uniform if you want because uh, they've, they've kind of opened up the bench and Major League Baseball just got sick of policing who could be on and who couldn't. Our only responsibility is to let the umpires know that we have a uh, instructor in town on the bench and let the visiting team know. Yeah, it's an instructor. Hey, you guys may have heard of him before. I get the sense, too, with the audit. He's not going to be shy, even though he's not day-to-day. Like, if he sees something wrong, I mean, he'll get in somebody's face. I mean, maybe maybe you need that. Well, I don't think it'll hurt. I mean, like certainly needed it last year. You know, hopefully this group will – you know, kind of grab some things on their own and, and deal with it. But, you know, like I think having those kind of types of voices around is, is always helpful. Well, Mo, we appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. And uh, I guess we'll see you at the warm-up over the weekend. All right. That sounds great. Stay warm. We appreciate Mo giving us a little extra time. I know in the past he'll say, hey, let's keep it to about 10 minutes. Okay, can we? Let's keep it to about 15 minutes. We, we got close to 20 out of Mo. Appreciate him hopping on the show and answering a number of the topics, hopefully one's that you wanted to hear addressed. I'm sure with him, it's for a lot of folks, never good enough what he has to say, but I do appreciate him being willing to talk about it. And uh, we'll do that with Doug Armstrong. When we come back, a blues conversation is on deck. Anytime we talk Mizzou, I'm thinking about our friends at AAA home services. They were along for the ride during Mizzou football, the great season. Also proud sponsors of Mizzou basketball. So AAA home services, the independent American standard heating and air conditioning dealer. That's been in St. Louis keeping family comfortables for 54 years. Great time right now to get some rebates, best rebates out there available right now. And we always remind you with AAA, they also do plumbing, electrical, appliance repair. You can go online to aaastl.com or 636-397-3200. 636-397-3200 on the web, aaastl.com. Com for all of those furnace needs this time of year. Again, great rebates are available. It's a great time to add a new system from our friends at AAA. In studio, it's the Blues GM, the president of Hockey Operations, just back from a whirlwind trip to check out the World Championships. Uh, and your team's playing great, Doug. They've won a couple in a row, thrilling fashion. It does seem this team, when, when the competition's up here, they tend to kind of rise up, it seems. Yeah, they've played very well, obviously, uh, the last few games tight checking it's nice to to know we can play that style of hockey i like these games when they're 30 shots or less against and uh we're competitive and we're, we're playing well right now how about the homestand too you're going to see the panthers you're going to see the bruins the range some of the top teams right now and based on recent trends it means your team will probably rise <laughs> up and play do you like seeing your team go against top competition uh, you do you like to see where you stand in the league and uh gives you an idea where your younger and older players are at in their careers at any given time. So this would be a really good homestand, great competition coming in here. And uh, I like the way we're playing. I'd like to see if we can sustain that. When the NHL <clears throat> fires a coach, the team always plays better. It's it's unbelievable how, I mean, we saw it in Minnesota and Edmonton. Drew Bannister is now 7-3 and three since taking over. What do you think that's about? Because it's not just here. It seems to be everywhere. Yeah, I just think everyone gets focused again. They get uh, laser focused, quite honestly. And it's it's unfortunate that... I, maybe it is human nature in our industry, at least, where 
you, people are waiting for a big trade or <clears throat> a coaching change or something drastic to happen and you try and warn them that something drastic is going to happen and then when it does it usually everyone focuses back in and you see good good play what did you know about drew banister obviously he'd been with the organization we didn't know much about him and, and how closely do you watch how he's handling this team because you've got a decision to make at some point about who the next head coach is well, we obviously watched him in junior hockey in Canada when we gave him the job in the American Hockey League, and he's done a very good job at that level. Came in, took us to the, uh, the championship round in the American Hockey League, and uh, we've seen progression of our younger players. Uh, I, I like our teams play competitive hockey at that level, uh, very good detail in, in their system game, and uh, I thought it was a good opportunity for him to, to come in here as, as we get through the rest of this season and, and chart our future, give him the first opportunity. I think it, you'd love to have homegrown talent at all levels uh, succeed, and he gets the first crack at it right now, and he's doing a heck of a job. When you fired Craig Berube, people were mad. It was a wild and popular move. How aware, I mean, people are saying, well, Armstrong needs to go. How aware of that are you when you make that decision? Uh, well, or even you, after the fact, are you aware? Yeah, you, you know, you, you're aware of it, and, and you're, you're, you hope it is like that, quite honestly. Craig did a great job here for us and is a great coach. And you, you want your, your, your fans passionate about your coaches and players. You know, management, uh, uh, you know, our job is to, to take those arrows and, and protect the players, protect the coaches as much as possible. Obviously, they're the center point, but it, it goes with the turf. You have to make hard decisions. And, uh, uh, you know, whether it was Ken Hitchcock or Craig Bruby, they go on and, and uh, Ken went on to coach and, and was a great coach after us. And Craig will go on to be a very good coach. But sometimes change is just necessary. and. Uh, you, you take the arrows when they come at you. You're known for being, I won't say, you know, cold-hearted, but you make tough decisions. Even still, when you walk in that room and you know you have to fire Greg Ruby, how hard is that? And can you sleep the night before, and are you stewing that whole game? How tough is that? Even though I know you're a tough guy, yeah. that's got to be hard. Well, I... I you know, it's a, you, you strike a friendship up with these guys. Craig and I worked together since uh, 2016. Uh, he was out of work in Philly and I was uh, helping Team Canada at the World Cup and he scouted for us. Then he came in to work in our American League team and then came up here as an associate coach and then took over as a head coach. And we obviously had success uh, pretty well this whole time here, whether it was the championship year or every year after that up until last year. Uh, and you gain a friendship and, uh, but, you know, Craig, Craig played for a long time on a lot of different teams, and we've both been around the NHL since the 90s, and we understand that, that change happens, and uh, you, you never like to do it, uh, but we've talked since then, and uh, it's always easier for the person not having to change addresses to say well, there's, there's no emotional uh, attachment or tie to it, but uh, I think Craig and I's relationship will, will last long past our time with St. Louis. And should this group now that we're watching be a playoff team? I mean, and this was kind of... When you make that decision, you say, hey, listen, this team is better than it's showing, and now we're starting to see that. Do you expect them? Is that your expectation at this point? I think when we started the year, we thought we'd be competing for that, uh, that wild card spot, and we're in there right now. Um, if you look at it today, and I was going through it today with some, some of our staff, that it looks like seven spots are pretty well spoken for now. Uh, Edmonton has risen up now. They're a good team. Looks like they're going to get either one of the top three or wild card spot. Vancouver was the one team I don't think anyone had slotted to be as good as they are. Uh, and then Winnipeg was a team that we thought might be in our situation. They had uh, uh, two top 
players that were going to be free agents and uh, the word on the street was that they were going to move those guys. They ended up signing them and uh, they've led them to a really good season. So you, you have seven teams that pretty well look slotted in. So now we have to fight those other teams out of eight spot and uh, we're in a good spot and, and our play is going to dictate where we finish. All right, let's talk about the World Juniors. <clears throat> Blues had seven prospects over there. It seemed nightly we would find out, you know, there's Stansel with a big goal, Snuggerud with a goal, Stenberg played well. Um, give us an idea how bright the future is with the group that you saw play. Well, having seven there was a lot for this organization and quite honestly for any organization. And uh, they all played well. They all not only uh, played a 200-foot game, but they, they all chipped in offensively too. And uh, we certainly led the tournament in, in uh, goals, assists, and total points for any, any organization, which is, which is promising. I think having five players from last year's draft is very exciting because all five players could go back next year. And then you add in a couple other players that will likely be or potentially be on their team next year from – last year's draft and this year's draft, we could have seven to nine guys next year too, potentially. So uh, this is part of the process of trying to retool uh, on the fly and uh, you can't expedite their, their growth, but it's nice to see against their peer group that they're top players. And whether it's a year, two or three from now, we, we do see a future here when these guys can come in and help us get back to where we were. And it's a lot like what the Blues went through prior to what, when I got here was uh, Larry... Larry Plow and Jod Davidson went through some tough, tough years getting, acquiring young players, and we're doing that now. And then at some point, you know, all these young players aren't going to play here, but you're going to have enough assets that you can make trades, acquire players, and build a team. But right now, what we're doing is getting as many assets as we can. Uh, this year, we have another five uh, picks in the first three rounds, which is a lot. Uh, since 2000, we've had seven first-round picks, which is most in the league. And so... It might not seem as if you come to the arena every night that there's a plan, but there is a plan here, and uh, and it, it's taking shape nicely. And I think you were pretty honest going into this year. Hey, we might contend to be third place. We might get into the playoffs. Moving forward, then next year or the year after that, is the goal different? Is it hey, we should because fans don't want to hear that every year. Hey, we're gonna if we're lucky, we finish third. When does that sort of goal move? Well, you know, if you look at the actuary tables, these first round picks and 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 players usually take two to three maybe three to four years for second and third round picks. And if we're in year one of that, you, you can see it going out a little ways with that group. But the Snuggerud, which was a couple of years ago, he's going to have a chance to make our team next year if he decides to leave college. Paul Duke and Dean are 20 now in the American League. They're going to have a chance to play games next year. So I, I don't think what, Mark, you're not going to see nine guys all in one year. You're going to see three or four one year, three or four the next year. Then all of a sudden you have nine new faces together at some point. All right, because you're here, this is a rare opportunity. When people talk about Doug Armstrong, you won the cup, you got Shen in a trade, you got O'Reilly in a trade. There's a lot of great things, but then I would say playing the hits, people will say, well, what happened with this guy, this guy? So I'll let you yep. uh, address it. Petro didn't end up with the Blues. He wanted to go to Vegas. He wanted more money. What, what do you think ultimately for folks who are always bringing that one up? Yeah, it just, you know, we he was the first person we went to once uh, July 1st and told him we wanted to give him a... To get him signed and for whatever reason it didn't work out for both sides and uh he left i, I mean I, I it's not like we didn't talk for for a full year going into it uh and people made decisions and uh again you know i, un I understand but you at some point you have to move forward you can't right. keep looking back every day and say what happened four or five years ago uh he's not here and we move forward and matthew kachuk was another name i think calgary wanted NHL-ready players. Wasn't that sort of what it came down to ultimately? The, again, I'm playing the hits here with you. That always yeah, come up. And... Yeah, again, I don't think people know really what happened. We offered, uh, uh, we had to move contracts. We offered 
the equivalent of four first round picks along with players too. So we made a nice offer. Uh, at the end of the day, what they were looking for were, were proven players. You look at the players they got, one player had 115 points the year before in the NHL. We didn't have that type of player to offer them. And uh, I, again, be, because it works out for one team or one fan base likes that, it doesn't mean the other organization or team sees it that way. And uh, uh, you know, we, we swing and sometimes you, you, you connect and sometimes you don't. And how about the contracts for Thomas and Cairo and the timing there, did it have to be done then? Uh, well, it had to be done within a year. And then you, you look at if you don't do it, uh, then they're two years away from unrestricted free agency. They have the right to go at arbitration and then they're one year away and, you know, you never know what happens. So uh, what you see a lot of teams doing right now, Martin, is, is giving these contracts after three. We did it after five. So it was there's a little less uh, rubbing the crystal ball with, with these players. And now you look at how they played. Uh, you know, Kairou last year had a, had, a, had a whack of goals this year. Robert Thomas is an all-star. Kairou has been an all-star. So, uh, again, I think you have to take a longer-term approach, and we're excited to have both these guys under contract. And as part of your approach where you retool on the fly, because your fan base, you can't go to the Blues fans and say, okay, we're going to be terrible for a couple of years. Like, they, they fill that building, so you're kind of in that spot where you can't go backwards, right? You kind of have to... Well, you, you, retool on the fly, as you call it, because I think your fans wouldn't accept it if you went the other way. Well, I meant, as I said, when I got here, they, they did the traditional rebuild, and uh, they were playing in front of 6,000 people a night. Like, right. that's just the reality of it. And, uh, um, you know, I have a first overall pick, a fourth overall pick. Uh, you know, those are, those are great to have, but they're hard to earn. Right. And uh, we're, we're trying to do it a different way right now. And moving forward, we got Robert Thomas, as you mentioned, an all-star. What's left for him? What's that next ceiling? He seems like he's added scoring more so, looking to score more. Uh, can he just can he get better? Yeah, I think he can. He's just entering the prime of his career right now. And uh, what what I've talked to him about, and what we've talked to him about, is is not just being a number one center, but the Olympics are coming up. There's things that he can. There's major awards. I think he can win major awards. And we're not trying to put too much pressure on him. But I just. I respect Robert so much that I think he can do those things. And uh, I, I don't say that if I don't think he could accomplish that. So I, I see potential major awards on his horizon. I, I see representing his country in major events on, on the horizon. And to do that, you just have to get uh, better and better every year. And uh, he's, he's, our, he's definitely our, our, our best 200-foot uh, player right now. And he's still young. So having him knowing he's going to do that for the next eight years in St. Louis is pretty exciting. All right, final thought. Are you more excited now than you were a month ago about this team and what's possible moving in towards April? Uh, yeah, I think organizationally we're excited uh, from the World Juniors to how we're playing now. Um, you know, again, there's, there's something, there's things that we know behind the scenes that we're working towards and uh, we're excited about it. We have, we have, we've kept our picks. We've kept our prospects. We have a future coming here. Uh, we're competitive on a nightly basis. We're, we're beating and playing good teams now. And, uh, we're not where we were from 2000 and we'll say 12 to, to 19. Uh, but we're in a good spot. Wasn't intended to be the night of uh, team presidents or the GMs, but Mo and army back to back just sort of worked out for us. Programming note next week, no show Monday as we honor Martin Luther King Jr. It's the MLK holiday. KTRS will observe that. And then on Tuesday, back to Mizzou basketball. So we won't see it till Wednesday. And by then, I'll be driving Brendan crazy. That's kind of feels like a Monday. Feels like a Monday. But wait, we were off Monday. And that feels like a Tuesday. Well, actually, it's Wednesday. We will be back with you uh, next Wednesday at 6 o'clock.
Also want to tell you about Illinois Recovery Center, a really special place that's over in Swansea, Illinois, helping folks in their battle with addiction. Whether it's drugs or alcohol, they've got an awesome team over there, professional staff. Hopefully you heard Eric Conley, who is the CEO over there at Illinois Recovery Center. He was on with Wendy and Jennifer the other day talking about the work they do. It's important work, and that professional staff over there, many of them have their own story of recovery, helping folks get their lives back together, doing it with evidence-based treatment programs, group therapy, individual therapy. You want to get your life back, whether it's yourself, family member, loved one, colleague, co-worker, call the folks at Illinois Recovery Center. Safe, inclusive environment, beautiful campus. They went in and gutted all the buildings. Everything's brand new inside. Great place to just sort of clear your head and get to the root of that addiction. Do it with this awesome professional team in Swansea, Illinois. There's hope. There's help. It's at IllinoisRecoveryCenter.com. And we welcome in Brendan Weesey, sports director at KTRS. A lot on the table. Uh, I think the Mosellock interview, what really – I know people are tired of hearing about Yadier Molina. He doesn't play anymore. But I am fascinated by the fact he's going to be able to be on the bench during home games. I thought it was more – not ceremonial, but once the games begin, hey, you're a special advisor. You can go sit up next to me and eat some nachos. He can be in uniform on the bench. You know he'll be screaming at the Cubs dugout, screaming at the umpires, and hopefully in Ollie's ear saying, here's what I would do next. It's basically when he's there, and we don't know how often, like he's the bench coach. Now, just for clarity, it would be Moe or, or Gersh – or somebody within the Cardinals organization that lets the umpires or let Major League Baseball know, hey, Yachty's on the bench tonight. He's in uniform. <laughs> it's not Yachty himself because that could get a little a little sticky. I mean, there could be a confrontation in the hallway leading up to the field if, if Yachty's the one that's got to take care Isn't of it. Isn't it way more involved than you thought visually? Like, I mean, the fact that we knew he wanted to be a coach and then – I agree with the team. Hey, let's not get into a situation where you're, you're Matt Holiday and you're like, I don't want to do this more. I think about it every day. But the fact that he can fly in for a homestand or you know a series, and I just and maybe I'm overthinking it, but him on the bench, there's going to be so many cutaways from Bally Sports Midwest or whoever carries games, and I think there are going to be times when he is screaming at the opposition. It's going to be fascinating. I didn't know it would be that involved. Well, and I think it's it's – Obviously, I mean, there's a lot of self-awareness, I think, with Mo and the ball club is that they need some sort of presence. They need a voice that will hold guys accountable. And maybe it, it well, I don't know, probably not a maybe. That wasn't present last year. And it's one thing for your manager to do it, but it's another thing if you've got a player or somebody, I, I'd almost call Molina player adjacent right? right because he's still cl- so close to his playing days he's gonna i, I mean if he's if gonna yadi, offer to pinch it and they're like no you can't <laughs> if yadi can get into somewhat plain shape he doesn't have to get the super eh. skinny molina but if he just walks in and looks like yeah i could see yadi putting the <laughs> putting all the gear on and going out there to catch a couple of innings he's gonna basically be a player for all intents and purposes that he's going to command a ton of respect and that there's going to have to be accountability from some of these guys that maybe wasn't always there last year. If this was college football's last great season, and a lot, of, pe- a lot of people were saying that, Many. 
what is this college basketball season? I mean, this is insane, isn't it? The, and this is not just because Marquette got thumped at home by Butler. Which they but, were. Which they were, sorry. Uh, Purdue lost the other day. Kansas lost to Central Florida. The only thing weirder than that is that it was a conference game. I forgot. Right. That's a conference game. You see now in the Big 12. Um, everybody's getting knocked off. All you got to do is get your crap in order by March if you're a college team. This is as topsy-turvy as I think we've seen it, and teams are as vulnerable as we've seen it in a long time. I will say, I mean, it's it's always cool to see it happen one after another, right? Because everybody's just dropping like flies. Yeah, I liked it until last night. Until last <laughs> night. And I, I will say the only exception to this rule is Marquette. Everybody else was losing on the road. Somehow Marquette found a way to lose at home to an unranked Butler team, although a better Butler team. Thad Mott has got that program starting to tick back up again. But it is incredibly difficult to win on the road in college basketball. And we've seen a lot of these top teams lose to unranked teams on the road. Like you said, you know, Purdue, Nebraska won. And, uh, and Kansas to Central Florida may be the most surprising because up until last night, Central Florida really hadn't shown too many chops yet. But that was a big win for them. And, yeah, any, anything goes right now in college hoops. What do you think of the Chaffetz timing, that he came to a game? This is the week of the burner account. The Billiken noise is getting a little louder. Although I, I do think the diehards are fine with Travis Ford and believe, hey, we got a solid program. This year's not great. Kind of the Chris May narrative that at least publicly he puts out there and then there's a quiet group not a quiet group that's a loud group but a small, small group, group online that's really disappointed frustrated i get their frustration but then chaffetz rolls into town any meaning in that or just i guess he hadn't made it to a game yet but it seemed interesting the timing and then to be down 20 with him in the building i'm like oh don't lose this game right it was on the, it was on its way to being maybe the ugliest loss of the year another one at home with everything that's circling the program, who knows where it goes. And to the Billikens' credit, they answer the bell, and they did have Sincere Parker back in uniform last night, Martin, but he really didn't play, didn't Three contribute minutes, I think. all that much. It was another monster performance by Gibson Jimerson, who I don't know if there's a better player on. I don't want to – well, I mean, up until this point, they've been a bad team. Gibson Jimerson has done everything within his power to help SLU win. He has another monster game. And then they spread the wealth around pretty good uh, amongst the bench and, and the rest of the starters. Everybody kind of got their licks in. You score 88 points. Uh, not a stretch to say. Biggest win of the season for the Bills. And, and they do it with uh, with Chaffetz in the house, in his house. I was over at Incarnate Word yesterday. We're doing something on the TV side with Dan Rolfus, Incarnate Word, the basketball team, you don't have to say girls basketball because it's a girls' school, but the basketball team has won 111 in a row, 111 in a row. And he said, we don't schedule to win games. He goes, we schedule to play like the toughest teams. We'll travel the country, and they're getting close to the state. It's not a state record, believe it or not. Stratford, wow. I think, is at 123 in recent years, so I would think they're going to break that. But it's just it, – it's. I'm sure Coach Powers can talk to this too, just to be that good year in, year out. We probably, because nationally, I think Steve Overby of the paper said the next closest national winning streak at the high school level in girls basketball is like 59. So not even anywhere close. We probably don't talk about it enough. We don't. And I'll just take a shot in the dark and say uh, 
Incarnate Word schedule a little more difficult than Stratford's was whenever they set that record down along Highway 44, a little bit northeast of Springfield Mo. They play, and Incarnate plays the toughest of tough schedules, and uh, Dan Rolfus has established himself. I mean, girls, boys, men, women, pros. Dan Rolfus, uh, one of the best basketball coaches in America. I don't think it's probably a stretch to say that. What is coming up on the Big Sports Show well, tonight? Mere moments. Martin, we've actually got Mizzou women's basketball taking on number oh, one. It's number almost one as if undefeated. I knew that. You did. We're talking women's basketball. Uh, number one undefeated South Carolina. Ooh. Massive coming up here in mere moments. Looking forward to that. It's the Kill Coin Conversation. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the women's basketball. We'll see you back here next Wednesday.